Welcome to episode 270 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 270 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. How are you today, Cynthia? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well. Do you like the change to the hotter temperatures with the summer? You know, I tend to be someone that likes, you know, I I like the springtime and the fall and the part of the country I'm in, we go from being like comfortable in the 60s and 70s right into 95 degrees with, you know, 95% humidity. So although I enjoy warmer weather, like when we get to the sultry, soppy summer here in central Virginia, then I, I kind of am like, you know, 
I don't love this. The dogs like don't like to walk as far. My hair gets really frizzy. Again, these are first world problems, but I do like warmer weather. But if I could like find the perfect climate where I didn't have as much humidity, that would be perfect. How about you? Same here. Listeners know this well, but I am obsessed with the cold. And I actually have discovered a new hack though for the summer. I'm doing it right now. I'm going to do it every single day as long as it's hot. Would you like to know what it is? Yes. I got those those cold hacks for like muscle pain and I freeze them and then I strap them to my body and wear them all day. That's amazing. So it's underneath my dress right now. There's something about, I don't know, I like my baseline state feeling cool and it's hard to achieve that when it's hot outside. I sleep when we go to bed. My kids and my husband have now acclimated to the temperature of 64 degrees at bedtime. I love being cold inside. Like I actually enjoy it. Like right now I have my typical mom uniform of like Lululemon tights and like a sports bra and I've got a long sleeve shirt on. And, you know, obviously we're recording two podcasts today, but for me, I can't stand being hot. Like during the day, I hate being hot in my environment. So if I had, like, if I couldn't get comfortable in my environment, that would be a distraction. But I, I think that we definitely share that. I'm definitely at the stage of life where I, I laugh and I always say the only two circumstances that I'm going to share that I will get a hot flash. Number one is if I drink alcohol, which is why I don't drink alcohol. And then number two is if I'm in an ambient temperature that's too warm, I'll actually start to get hot flashes. So for me, there's a very like therapeutic amount of cool that I need in my environment to stay in a position where I'm like very homeostatic. So I think we're totally in agreement. Although I would imagine your ambient air conditioner temperature is probably lower than where mine is. Yeah. During the day, I keep it at 67 and at night, 60. I was actually yesterday though, pondering this either or question, which I'm so glad I don't have to make this decision, but I was thinking, and I'd be curious your answer, would you rather be very hot all the time, uncomfortably hot, but be able to fast or be cold all the time, but not be able to fast? I think neither sounds... (laughs) Neither sounds ideal because I can tell you when I'm really like uncomfortably hot, like even in the middle of summer, the difference between my appetite when I'm cooler versus too warm, like when I'm hot, like when we head into summertime, even if we go out to dinner and we do something, I don't want to eat a whole lot. I just don't feel comfortable. And then if I'm, if it's the other extreme, I guess I might pick being cold because if I could, if I could still have several hours in between meals, I could probably acclimate better to that. But when I'm hungry, excuse me, when I'm too hot, too ambient temperature, too warm, then I'm less likely to eat anything. That's why I was thinking about it because I was reflecting on how when I'm really hot, like the last thing I want to do is eat and how I'm so grateful for fasting during the summer. So I was thinking about that. And I I get flashbacks. Have you seen Gone with the Wind? I have. I have. It's a very long movie, but it's lovely. It is very long. I don't know if you remember, like, it might be the opening scene, but I just know she's like wearing, you know, these massive dress and it just looks like the South and they're complaining about how hot it is. And she's about to go to the party and her mom's like, you have to eat all this food before you go. And I just remember when I watched it, I was like, ugh. Like, why? (laughs) Why would you want to be in the Southern South Plantation wearing all these clothing and eating your breakfast 
Yeah, it's interesting. My so I was born in South Carolina, and my my father's side of the family, we still have family there. And my grandmother, who was born and raised her entire life in South Carolina, I remember asking her, "What was it like before the advent of air conditioning?" And she said, "I'm not exaggerating." So she lived in Charleston, and she said we didn't move a whole lot. And she said that's why everyone had porches, and that's why you know you'd sit outside. But she said it was really, really miserable, like not being able to escape the heat. Yeah. Well, I mean, they talk about how the South really got settled after the advent of air conditioning because, you know, the the Southeast of the United States gets uncomfortably hot and humid. Wow. Well, I have one more super random fun fact. May I share it? Sure. This is so random. So I apologize in advance, but it just blew my mind. And I think about it every time I experience it now, and I just need to share it with listeners. So as listeners know, I'm very obsessed with scallops. Have we talked about this before? I think you've shared that with me. It might've been personally. Do you like scallops? I do. My husband hates them, so I don't eat them a lot, but I do like them. That's fortunate though, because they're so expensive. (laughs) Have you ever bought a bag of frozen scallops though? No. Okay. Have you seen a bag of frozen scallops? Probably not. Not recently. So for anybody who buys a bag of frozen scallops, there are sometimes bright, there's like a bright orange scallop this happened to me the other night and I freaked out because I thought it was like bacteria or, or sick or something. So I threw it in the trash and then I thought about it more and I was like, you know what, maybe there's something going on. Maybe that wasn't a bacteria. So I, I researched it. Do you know what causes bright orange scallops? Is it like exposure to something while they're maturing? No. Here's a hint. It has to do with flamingos being pink. Isn't it plankton that makes them pink? Astaxanthin. Yeah. And it's an antioxidant. So if you see an orange scallop, it is a female scallop spawning. No way. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know they had genders. So this, this I was like, hmm, they're a little more advanced than I thought they were. I was like, it's just a scallop. <laughs> they have genders I would not have known. I know. And so, so when I read that, this is going to sound crazy, but I just tossed it in the trash and it was like on top of like, cause I eat so many cucumbers. It was just on top of cucumber peels. So I pulled it back out. Cause I was like, oh, this is really high in <laughs> nutrients. So a little fun fact. I've been like dying to share that for like a month. Well, I'm so, I'm so honored that you decided to learn something new, Melanie. <laughs> I didn't know that scallops had gender. So it just goes to show you like clearly how little I understand about scallop physiology. Me too. Me too. So, but what's interesting is none of the articles that I read when I looked that up, none of them mentioned the nutritional effect of that. But my first thought was, well, that's, you know, an antioxidant. So this is probably a more nutritious scallop. It's fascinating. Yeah. In any case, would you like to share anything or shall we jump in? No, no. I'm super excited. I will be on vacation for the first time in six months in a little over 10 days. That's very exciting. I'm very excited. My whole team is probably not excited, but I am very excited because I was like, I am going to unplug. Where are you going again? I know this. Yeah. So we are flying to Prague. And so we'll spend three days in Prague and then we will be going to Germany and Slovakia and Austria. And then we'll end up in Budapest. Wow. As much as I've been all over the world, I have not actually been to Eastern Europe. I'm embarrassed to admit, but my youngest has been learning German and he has been begging, begging for two years to be able to go to Germany. And so I thought this would be 
kind of a unique slash fun way to see that part of Europe and then decide for ourselves like where we wanted to go back to. Germany is the other country besides the US I have been to the most. Really? Yeah, we have family there. My family's from there. My maternal grandmother, her family's from Germany. And the interesting thing about my grandparents, fun fact, is that my grandmother was German and my grandfather was Italian. And so having a romance in the midst of World War II was very controversial, if you will. Wow. My grandmother was German and came over on a boat to the U.S. and met my grandfather here. She was like younger during World War II. Where are you going? What part of Germany? So we are, so we're doing a Danube cruise. So we've never done a cruise before. However, I've had friends like really rave about a river cruise because it's very small. There are, you know, it's like really devoted for, to families. It's not just retirees. That was like my biggest thing. I was like, we don't want to be the only family going. And then it's all retirees. No offense to retirees, of course. So we will be in Regensburg, which is, I think, the best preserved Baroque architecture in that part of Europe because it was untouched during World War II. So we'll be there. And then we go down to Vilshoven to get on the boat and then we kind of sail from there. So we're actually spending the most time in Prague, but I've been wanting to go to the Czech Republic for a long time. I can't wait to see pictures. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm just hoping that my teenagers... Here's an interesting fun fact. So if you've been to Europe with kids, you probably know after a certain age, you have to get two rooms. So we managed in Prague to have, you know, just like a family suite, which is great. We all get to be together. And then when we go on the ship, we have adjoining rooms, but my teenagers will be in one room, my husband and I will be in another. And, you know, trying to explain to them that, you know, when we all go to bed, like there's no getting out to go check out the ship. And I'm not worried. My kids are actually pretty obedient about that, but they're both, you know, they're both boys, they're both teenagers, and they're like disgusted having to share a bed. Like, they're like, no way. And I just looked at both of them. I was like, I don't even want to hear anyone complain because, you know, you were so fortunate that you get to go on this trip that I'm not listening to any of this. And, you know, they're like, can I just sleep on the floor? I'm like, no, you're not sleeping on the floor. So provided that the teenagers are like not grumpy and hormonal, we will have a great time. Have you seen the TV show White Lotus? I have not. Oh, I'll just put a recommendation. It's my favorite TV show of recent time. I'd actually be really curious if you like it or not. There's just a teenager in in it that sleeps on the floor. So that's why I thought about it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, obviously we have same gender children. So I just kind of looked at them and said, you're just going to have to suck it up. And no, I'm not giving up my bed so that you can have a bed all to yourself. And I was like, you should really be very grateful for the opportunity to be able to take this trip. And normally they're great. They actually really enjoy traveling, but I'm just crossing my fingers that, you know, the hormones will not be keeping them in a position where I will, you know, be frustrated. Usually they're pretty good. And they're six, wait, 16? 16 and 14. It's like a fun, I think I've enjoyed every stage as a parent, but I especially enjoyed this stage because they have definitive likes and things they're interested in. And we have a pretty active itinerary, which is great because I have one kid who needs to like, needs the mental stimulation of being busy. And we have to find like the happy medium because three of us are introverts. And then said child who likes to be going 24 seven has to kind of slow down a little bit, which is good for him. But It's always an interesting balance with both of them. Shall we jump into some intermittent fasting related things for today? Absolutely. This question is from Christina and the subject is struggle with habits. 
I've been doing IF since 2019. I had window creep that lasted approximately two years, and now I am back to longer fasts. During the creep, I would fast maybe 12 to 15 hours. Now I'm pushing to get back to 19 to 20. How long does it take to actually not have the urge to swing by Starbucks in the morning? I seem to have been fighting that urge for the past month and a half since I started the longer fast again. I know IF makes me feel a million times better. My back stops hurting and my energy level goes up. Knowing that, why isn't it easier to do what makes me feel better? Looking forward to Cynthia's perspective on IF. Thanks, ladies. All right, Christy. Well, thank you so much for your question. So a lot of things going on here. So for first of all, your question about how long does it take to not have the urge to swing by Starbucks in the morning? So obviously, well, I say obviously, but that's something that I think obviously is going to vary by each individual. Uh, you know, some people can jump right in and be good and others, it takes a really long time to deal with urges and old habits and things. I'd be super curious, actually, Cynthia, when you started fasting, do you have any urges that were hard to break? Like, was it a hard transition for you? And did you just jump in right away or did you slowly transition to fasting? That's a good question. I I would say that I pretty quickly got into a 16-8 pattern to start. I always feel like the last hour for me, I if I'm really hungry, can be a challenge. But... I recognize that that's not necessarily the norm. So when someone tells me that they're struggling with a longer fast, I start thinking about where are you in your menstrual cycle? You know, are you still menstruating? You know, how's your sleep and what's your stress management like? And the other piece is getting enough protein in your feeding window the day before because one of two things is happening. It's either there's insufficient protein intake, which helps with satiety on a lot of levels, or this is my feeling, or they're trying to fast in a time during their menstrual cycle, if they are still menstruating, that really they should be backing off. And I think that the average person, when they try to push longer fasts around their cycle, they'll find that if they just lean into what their body needs them to do, that more than likely it won't won't feel like such an overwhelming task. Meaning if it's the week before your menstrual cycle, Maybe you need to be fasting 12 or 13 hours. And then when you start bleeding, you can kind of open up that fasting window again. But those are my initial thoughts. But I I definitely was one of those people that once I started fasting, I felt so good that it wasn't a challenge to fast for at least 16 to 18 hours. And that could be that I'm just odd or weird. But feeling good to me just made such a big difference that I didn't feel like it was actually all that hard for me. But I might just be unique. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 
50% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein, so I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. The way I started, because I don't even know if we've in all of our conversations, if we've talked about our, our Genesis stories, but I, I was going to do fasting as an experiment, the one meal a day approach, because I read online this blog post written by Rusty Moore. And this was like back before, I mean, Facebook was there, but groups weren't like a thing or anything like that. It was really just the days of like reading blog posts that had lots of comments on them. And there's just one post. I wonder if it's still up. It might be. And it was about doing eating one meal a day to lose weight. And I was like, I'm just going to try this for a week. And I jumped in and it was, I thought it was going to be really hard. It just wasn't. And what's funny, what's interesting is I, I literally remember my first day doing it because I was working on my friend's film set and I was in college at USC. And I just remember like drinking tea all day from the craft services table, but I just felt so good and it that I just never stopped. But so back to Christy's question. I love what she asked about why isn't it easier to do it makes me feel better, even though she knows that she feels better with IF. So 
like Cynthia was saying, there's a physical aspect to this. So, you know, how are you actually approaching your fast and is it supported? Are you actually in a state where you, you know, shouldn't be hungry because of your dietary choices and the support that you're getting, or you should be hungry because of your menstrual cycle or not eating enough or things like that. But then there's the mental aspect to it. So you're having the urge to go buy Starbucks. That is probably a very habit-driven dopamine-driven thing that has arguably nothing to do with the actual fasting. It's something that, you know, is a habit for you. And it would be so nice if we could talk ourselves into making the decisions that we know are best for us. But as people probably know, that can be really hard to do. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So our brains doesn't matter how much we know something is better for us in the long term. As a species, our bodies want to favor the immediate gains of any action because from an evolutionary perspective, it is certain. So like basically our bodies don't favor long-term health compared to short-term gains. So we're always going to want to do the thing that will give us the most pleasure at that moment. And when we have a habit that has like taught us to get that dopamine hit and our body thinks it's something good for us, we want to just keep doing it. So this is something where there are so many approaches to addressing this and changing habits. I mean, they all work for different people. So you really have to just find what works for you. A resource that I do really like that I mention a lot on this show and I'm really good friends with the author. And we've talked about this before, how the title is a little bit misleading because it doesn't only apply to what the title says. It's more of a concept beyond that. But I really love, for example, Glenn Livingston's book, Never Binge Again. His approach to all of this is identifying the voice in your head that is telling you to do the thing that you don't want to do. He calls it the pig in his book. There's a massive freedom in the ability to identify an urge that you're having for something and realizing that you don't have to engage with it. And it sounds really simple to say, just don't do it. Like who does that? You just don't do it. But when you have a reframe and realize that that is an option, like you can have these urges and you can just not do it. Like you don't have to fight the urge. You don't have to debate with the urge. You can just not go to Starbucks. (laughs) And I know that sounds so simple, but that's why it's, I think important to read these books that talk about this in, in greater length. I also love Amy Johnson has a book called The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit. I really love her book as well. I've had her on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She was actually so, so amazing. I had her on the show and then I brought her back for her second book, which was called Just a Thought a no willpower approach to overcome self-doubt and make peace with your mind. And I actually have an endorsement on that book, which is was really an honor. But those are two good resources to check out. You could also check out Charles Duhigg. Yeah, Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. But basically, there are a lot of resources here. And I think the biggest reframe is that it doesn't have to go away. Like you're saying, like, when is it going to go away? It doesn't have to go away. You can always have these desires and urges, but you don't have to engage with them. And I think that might be a freeing mindset to to partake in. I think that you bring up some really good points. I love Glenn Livingston's work. And ironically, today I was kind of scrolling through Instagram while I was giving myself a break from writing. And Dr. Amen had some information on low dopamine 
signs. And so, you know, that kind of pleasure seeking and obviously a Starbucks coffee is pretty benign in comparison to some of the things that people will do in an, in an essence to get, you know, a dopamine hit. But I agree with you with the reframe and really just understanding it's a lot of it's human nature and so much of it's habit, like because we're used to doing X, our body's like, oh, I want to get that pleasure hit. So there's so many different ways. I always love the book Atomic Habits because it's these like little changes that we make in our personal lives have a lot of impact. And so when someone feels like they're really struggling, the question is, what is what are you wanting in the morning that you're not giving yourself? And it probably isn't the food. It might be maybe you're used to getting sugar in your coffee at that time, or maybe you're used to like, we know dairy can be very kind of addictive. Maybe you're looking for that that hit in your brain in response to exposure to certain foods. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And I would imagine there are a lot of listeners that are struggling with their own little things in their personal lives as well. Like I love chocolate and I bet I don't allow, allow myself to have chocolate every day. And so when I start getting that like urge or that desire, it's like, okay, what am I really looking for? Am I looking for a little bit of serotonin? What are other ways I can you know, I can work on that without having to indulge in the chocolate. I'm so glad you brought that up. And yeah, I think because replacing it can be key because you are probably going to have an urge for something at that moment. And so if you have something that you replace it with, that can be super, super helpful. Like I wonder, Christy, do you like normal black coffee without all of the other things? Like, can that be something? Or could there be something else that you do during that time that you do instead as, as like a rule? And Atomic Habits, I haven't read it in forever, but it must be helping a lot of people because it has been on the New York Times bestseller list, like number one or number two for how many weeks? Forever. And actually my publisher is, their, is his publisher. And so you know, every week when I get a list of the, you know, New York Times bestsellers, I always think good for him. But I, I think the reason why that book is so is so resonated with people is that it's not it's not encouraging to take like these extraordinary leaps. It's really making things small, digestible, so you can have these small wins. So you can continue making small, subtle changes that have a large impact. And so I actually read it every year and I almost always in my groups, I almost always encourage people to read it because I think it's so insightful. And I feel like every time I read that book, I get something else out of it. Like I now have a physical copy and a copy on Audible, depending on my mood, whenever I go to read it, it's like, do I want to listen to it or do I want to read it? Have you had him on the show? I have not. I kind of thought he was like a unicorn. <laughs> like, you know, he's probably gotten to a point where he's so saturated with interviews I've always said, well, you know, if, if I have an opportunity, I think he'd be a really amazing interview. But I, I think sometimes when people's books are so successful, I would imagine they might get tired of talking about it. Maybe, maybe not. I was thinking that as well. We should put it out to the universe <laughs> that we interview him. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful, Christy. And definitely write us back how this goes for you and if you um, find something that really works for you. Okay. So. Now we have two questions, both about protein. I'm going to read both of them. Well, I might read them both together. We'll see how it goes. So the first one comes from Angela. The subject is intermittent fasting. And Angela says, dear Cynthia. Oh, she addressed this to you. Dear Cynthia, I am a qualified nutritional therapist, a fitness instructor, as well as a functional medicine practitioner. And I fast daily. I am postmenopausal and I like to fast 16 to 20 hours. My question is this. 
as it is so important to eat enough protein, how can one eat enough in a four-hour window if it is true that you can only absorb 30 grams of protein in one sitting? So actually, maybe we can start with this, and I am so excited to talk about this. Yes. Well, this is one of my favorite topics. So this is very timely. It's actually a misnomer that you can only your body can only absorb 30 grams per sitting. You know, in conversations that I've had with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who I know you just interviewed, it's really over a 24-hour period of time. So don't let that be a concern. However, and this is definitely one of those things that I get concerned about, we know that women's needs for protein actually increase in menopause. So as you're getting older, we actually require a bit more protein. And so my concern is always if someone has a very small, narrow feeding window, especially if it's a woman, especially if it's a middle-aged woman, the question is always, can you get enough protein in during your feeding window? And so, you know, after many, many conversations with Gabrielle, who is also a friend of mine, 100 grams is about my threshold for recommendation. So if you're not there, you need to start getting there. And I I really fervently believe that we need to have variety in our fasting windows. And this may be a departure from other messages that have been, you know, shared on the podcast. And I respect people's opinions, but our bodies like variety. You know, that's why we don't eat the same food every day. We don't do the same type of exercise every day. And so I am a fan of our of us kind of shaking up our our windows and maybe for, you know, Angela there would be value in maybe having a slightly wider eating window to allow her to get a bit more protein in, but I'm less concerned about people eating a certain amount of protein right around exercise and more concerned that they're getting sufficient amounts of protein overall over a 24-hour period of time. I thought that was great. I actually, thank you to Cynthia, also just recently interviewed Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and I can't wait to air it because it's going to be so, so helpful for listeners. Yeah. She actually texted me right before we started recording. So I'm going to tell her when we get off that that we just talked about her at length on the show. I jokingly tell her that I quote her daily, like she's always in my head. And I I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but when I first met Gabrielle, we spoke on a panel together with Terry Walls and another individual. I'm embarrassed to say, I can't remember her name, but she was lovely as well. And the first thing Gabrielle said to me, other than hello, nice to meet you, was I bet you're not eating enough protein. And so she has really made it her mission to make sure people understand how critically important it is and I'm sure your interview with her is going to be phenomenal. I'm, I'm like waiting for her book to come out so that I can interview her again. I'm like just waiting. Yeah, no, I, I love what she's doing. And she talked about in our interview, what you were just talking about with the this idea about the cap on the absorption. And just to provide some more information about that for listeners, because I know people hear that all the time. And just so people can, if they are presented with that, they can know what is actually going on. So I found this incredible study. It's called How Much Protein Can the Body Use in a Single Meal for Muscle Building? Implications for Daily Protein Distribution. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And the show notes, by the way, are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 270. But it actually talks about where this idea started about the 30 grams. It's a few things. So one, the 30 grams, it was based on studies where they would give fast acting protein supplements, like I think whey protein maybe. So basically hit with a a massive bolus all at once, which is not the equivalent of a meal of protein, which takes a long time to digest and absorb. 
you're going to have a much slower absorption if you're having protein in whole food form. And actually, when I interviewed Gabrielle, that's what she was saying, because I was telling her how I eat so much protein all at once. And she was saying, well, you'll digest it slower, so it'll be just a slower drip into your system. But our body doesn't stop absorbing protein. Like It's not like it. your, your body does not stop absorbing food. If that was the case, we could just, I don't know, we, <laughs> then there wouldn't be any implications to eating more than 30 grams of protein. You know, like what happens? Does it just magically disappear? No, <laughs> um, it does get absorbed. There might be some limits in things like the maximum amount of mTOR stimulation that you can get at one time. There might be a cap as to the amount of muscle growth that you could get from any one given meal, but that doesn't change the ability to use that muscle or to use that protein, if that makes sense. And actually another interesting thing that I found speaking to what Cynthia was just talking about with the need for protein to support your body. This is not answering that specifically, but when I was going down the rabbit hole tangent researching this, I found a really interesting study called reduced resting skeletal muscle protein synthesis is rescued by resistant exercise and protein ingestion following short-term energy deficit. So I'm not advocating calorie restriction right now. That would actually be the antithesis of what we're talking about probably with the, the protein and the muscle support. Basically what the study found was that if you're on a calorie restricted diet, you have less muscle protein synthesis potential. So that's the ability to to create muscle from protein. But the people in the study, if they did resistance training, so like muscle building, even in a calorie deficit and then ate their meal, it was a washout. Basically, it, it made it so that they had the same muscle protein synthesis rates as if they weren't on an energy deficit. And so the reason I bring that up, and this is actually something that Gabrielle talks about in my episode as well, was there are other ways, if your concern is supporting muscle, in addition to having ample protein, doing muscle resistance also supports the use of that protein to form muscle. So that might be something, that's like another factor that you might want to keep in mind when you're trying to support your, your muscle health, especially with Angela being in menopause and wanting to make sure that she really supports her muscles. So that was a little bit of a tangent. I think that's all really important. And, and I think the the point that I, I want middle-aged women to understand is that sarcopenia is not a question of if, but when. And one of the ways that we can ward off or lessen the impact of sarcopenia is eating enough high-quality protein and lifting weights. And what I, I think a lot of women don't understand and I would say men as well, is that actually insulin resistance starts in our muscles. And so it is critically important. I mean, I cannot tell you how much harder it is at 50 to maintain muscle mass than it was even 10 years ago. And that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means I have to make a greater effort. And that's why I hope, you know, people really understand why it's so important. I know that, you know, we're giving some context to this, but, you know, when Gabrielle says muscle is the organ of longevity, it has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of the reason why we're dealing with an obesity epidemic is because people are so insulin resistant. They're also, as she refers to it, under muscled. And so I, I just think that, you know, this is a point that I, I hope I can continue to bring up over and over again to help remind people why it's so important. Even if you, you know, maybe you're getting in 50 grams of protein a day and you slowly work it up to 100, that's going to help. And, you know, lifting weights, even if it's body weight exercise will help. But it's really important for us when our sex hormones are 
fluctuating so significantly that it makes it a whole lot harder to build and maintain muscle. So I don't know how old Angela is. Sometimes it's it's helpful when I have that context, but I just wanted to make sure I reiterated that one point. I actually recently listened to an interview. So so Peter Tia did a guest interview. I don't remember who the guest was, but it was a a deep, deep dive into this concept of insulin resistance starting at the muscle. But it was so incredible that he then did an AMA where they just basically deconstructed or like walked listeners again through that episode because it was so complex that they wanted to just talk about it again. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But if you want to learn more about the nitty gritty mechanics of how insulin resistance starts at the muscle, it's fascinating because there are basically a lot of potential ways that could happen. And they've, they figured out where the actual like transport mechanism for that happening is happening. But yes, so just a link for the show notes. Yeah, the brilliant Peter Atia. It's like I I think I have like everyone I know listening to his podcast, including my cousin who's an, who's a physician and is very impressed. <laughs> okay. So we have another protein question. This is from Margaret and the subject is protein questions. So maybe it's questions. Margaret says, hey y'all Thank you so much for your podcast and books. My name is Margaret and I have been intermittent fasting for a little over two months now and I have noticed a great improvement in my energy levels and gut health. I have only lost two to four pounds of scale weight, but I am down an inch and a half on my waist, an inch on my butt and both thighs. Yay. As we are getting into the springtime and I'm trying on my shorts, they all seem a little bit loose. I still have about 20 pounds I want to lose to get to my goal weight, but I can see how this lifestyle can just make me feel better regardless of the scale weight. I'm a very active person. I'm a physical therapist in a hospital and I'm up on my feet walking all day for 11 to 12 hour shifts. On top of that, I do HIIT workouts usually four times a week and take my dogs on many miles of walks each week. When I do the workouts, I notice I can't quite make as long of a fast and can get very tired. Because of this, I've been playing with my macros. Thanks, Melanie and trying to up my carbs and really up my protein. I've been making protein shakes with fruits and eating protein bars. Adding all of this protein has really helped me to feel better and make my fast last a little longer, and my body isn't so achy. I don't naturally eat a lot of meat. I'm not a vegetarian, but upping too much meat just doesn't feel right on my stomach. I've always felt this way, but I've also found out recently I am type A blood type, go figure. And just as a side note, in the the blood type world, they say that I think the, the A type is like the agrarian. It's something that they advocate to have less protein, which is why she's saying go figure. But that's a whole tangent about blood type. Okay. She says, I've just started to slowly cut out some of the ultra processed foods that are in my diet, trying not to do too much at once, but slowly transitioning into better food choices. My question is, do you know of any protein powders, shakes, or bars that are considered more clean than others. I don't want to cut these out of my diet because I feel so much better incorporating them into my eating window, but they seem ultra processed because where in nature can you find protein powder? Should they just be the ish part of my diet or are there any brands that y'all can recommend? Thank you so much for everything you do. I look forward to hearing more podcasts in the future. All right. Awesome. Well, Margaret, congratulations on slowly kind of changing your food frequency and making all these other lifestyle changes. It sounds like you're making really great progress. 
A couple things. I, I would say that, you know, from my perspective, if you're slowly transitioning to a less processed diet, there's really no shame if you're choosing to utilize some protein powders. I tend to be very picky and I really like Marigold Way, and and we can actually include a discount code for you for that. But it's New Zealand Way that's you know ultra filtered and it's really high quality. Has very few ingredients, and their chocolate malt is amazing. That's actually the protein powder my husband and my boys use here at our own house. If you don't tolerate whey, obviously whey is a, a really nice option. In terms of plant-based protein powders, I'm not really a fan of most of them, but Truvani, which is the one that Food Babe has created, is fairly clean. It does have pea protein. And so I always like to be very clear that my greatest concern with a lot of the plant-based proteins are contaminants. And, and I'm not sure how she sources pea protein that's utilized in her products, but it is a fairly clean product. And in terms of bars, I usually recommend Marigold if someone tolerates whey. They have really high quality bars. They actually have to be kept in the refrigerator. I would say the cleanest bars I've seen that are plant-based are Roar. It's W-A-W-R. And it is a plant-based bar, but it's actually palatable. But you do have to keep it refrigerated. So that's kind of a, a bummer that both of those require refrigeration. But you can like put it in a pocket and, and take it with you. You know, the other thing that I, I think about is it's really important to be hitting those protein macros because that really helps the satiety. So when someone says they still want a lot of carbs, they want a lot of fruit, they're trying to lose weight, depending on what life stage you're in, you may need to reduce the carbohydrate consumption, you know, really keeping it fairly reasonable. I would say at least under 100 grams a day of total carbs. You may need even less to continue to lose weight. And I think it's also important. It, I'm not at all vilifying carbohydrates at all. But I do think it's important for people to understand that you want to get your carbs from whole food sources. So if you're having a starchy carb like sweet potato or squash, if you tolerate grains, which I find most, a lot of women do not, and it has a lot to do with the way these food sources are exposed to, whether it's glyphosate or other types of pesticides and, and how that can impact gut health and low glycemic fruits. So if you're going to have fruit, have berries, have low glycemic apples, you know, a tart apple, not a honey crisp, although they are delicious as well. But real being very mindful of your portions of carbohydrates and really pushing the protein. So if you don't feel well eating red meat, maybe try some, you know, poultry, maybe try some fish. You definitely want to be getting in different types of protein. And I, I do appreciate as someone that worked in a hospital for many years, that it can be challenging sometimes to, to have to eat meals on the go as you're rounding on patients. That's, that's probably where I'd start from. The other thing that I think is important, and I don't have a problem with HIT, but I, I when women are telling me they're doing HIT three to four days a week, five days a week, you really would probably get more bang for your buck, if you will, if you did some strength training. And that would also facilitate weight loss. It would also facilitate more insulin sensitivity. Even taking a walk after a meal will help with insulin sensitivity. So hoping those are some you know practical advice, but Marigold Way is my go-to recommendation. They have bars and they have protein powder. They also have a product you can put in your coffee. That's actually something my swimmer uses when he's getting ready to do a race. But how about you, Melanie? What are some of the recommendations you make for protein powders? Do you have a favorite? So for straight up protein powder, like not whey, just actual just protein powder. I had Dr. David Menkoff on the show on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. So the link for that episode, which was really fascinating because we we dive deep into protein as well, is at melanieavalon.com slash perfect protein. His supplement is called Perfect Amino. And 
from what I can find, it's the like cleanest, like it's literally just according to him, the, the perfect amino acid ratio that you need and there's no additives, no fillers. So you can get that at melanieavalon.com slash perfect amino and the coupon code melanieavalon will get you a discount. For the ways, I went through a period where <laughs> this happened when I um went through my cottage cheese making period. Have you made cottage cheese before? No, I'm I don't eat dairy and I've never been a fan. I like just the it makes me want to vomit. Sorry. <laughs> My husband loves it, but it makes me just the look, just ugh, can't do it. Cottage cheese specifically or all, or all dairy? Well, I haven't eaten dairy for four years, but I've never been a cottage cheese fan. There's something about the way it looks that just doesn't, my husband loves it, but when he buys it, I'm like, I, you can't eat that around me. It's like the only thing I feel that way about. Like when I look at it, just, it's like a visceral response. I feel so sorry saying that to you. It's one of the foods that is polarizing like that. Like some people are so I love cottage cheese and I hadn't had dairy, I mean, in like probably almost a decade, but then sort of recently I decided I wanted to try integrating some like fat-free cottage cheese because I, I tend to eat low fat, high carb in my eating window, high protein. So I wanted to have fat-free cottage cheese and you can't find fat-free cottage cheese without fillers and additives. So I started making my own and then I realized how cool of a science experiment it is. And I started learning about like, I don't know, I, I got really interested in the concept of the, of like whey versus casein and just different things that you could do with, with milk. And, and for one, for one, at one moment I was like, I'm going to make cheddar cheese. And then I researched how you do that. Oh my goodness. It's, if you look up the cheese making process, it is the most complicated thing. It's like, get the milk and then get it to like this exact temperature and then like, let it sit for like, I'm making this up, but like, let, let it sit for like seven minutes. And then like, it's just so specific. It sounds like potions class in Harry Potter and you have to use different starters and rennet to Renee enzymes. I'm on a tangent. The point of this is when I was doing that, that's when I started researching whey protein more. And I found two sources that I really liked. So they're on Amazon. One is a whole form. So it's called my way grass-fed organic raw whey protein, cold-pressed. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I found an isolate version that I really liked, which was grass-fed whey protein powder isolate by Opportunities. Opportunities. So, and they also have flavors for those as well. But that was just from looking on Amazon for probably hours at all the ingredients and trying to find what looked the best for all of the processes involved in it. So I'll put links to that in the show notes. Hi friends, super exciting announcement. Berberine subscriptions are here and this is your chance to get grandfathered in to a massive discount for life. Berberine is an incredible supplement that I love and which is amazing, especially for this audience. It is a plant alkaloid that has been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, and it rivals the effect of metformin when it comes to blood sugar control. That's right, if you're looking to take charge of your blood sugar levels, berberine can be an incredible tool in your arsenal to help achieve that. I have noticed huge differences on my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, when I take berberine. I've personally seen a 20-point drop in my postprandial blood sugar levels when I take berberine, and it's not just me. Friends have told me that. You guys in the audience have told me that. Influencers have reported that back. It truly is incredible, and it's not just 
blood glucose control, berberine has so many other potential health benefits. It can help modulate inflammation, beneficially affect cholesterol levels, support the gut microbiome, and even activate the longevity pathway, AMPK. That's something that we talk a lot about with fasting specifically. Berberine can actually help do that as well. It took quite a while to bring it to market because we couldn't find a berberine source that tested for all of the purity and potency that we wanted. We finally did find a source. That's the one that you get in Avalon X. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as heavy metals and mold, which you guys know is so important to me. So if you'd like to have berberine in your daily life and help save money as well as be more sustainable for you and the planet, you need a subscription. It helps reduce packaging and shipping energy. And ultimately, we want to create it all in one large bottle like we did recently with my serapeptase supplement. But here's the thing. We want to make sure that we give you guys the right amount of capsules perfect for you. So we are doing a special subscription launch where you guys can actually choose between two different options, two bottles every two months or two bottles every three months. You will get grandfathered into a 22% off discount for life as long as you keep the subscription active. So now is the time to grab the subscription. And then based on how that goes, whichever is more popular, the two bottles every two months or the two bottles every three months, that will help us decide which type of subscription to launch when we do the large bottle. So this is your chance to snag an incredible discount on Avalon X Berberine 500 and help us figure out what you guys really want in the future with the large bottle option. This is live now and ends July 17th, so snag this deal while you can. That's at avalonx.us. And to stay up to date on all of the latest specials and discounts, definitely get on my email list. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. And you can get text updates and a 20% off code when you text avalonx to 877-861-8318. Of course, you can always use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON site-wide to get 10% off all of my products, as well as all of the products from my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. So again, grab that berberine subscription, let us know what you want, get grandfathered in to an incredible discount for life, and take charge of your blood sugar control. All right, now back to the show. Have you ever tried the perfect aminos? I have not. Okay. I know a lot of listeners have seen really amazing um, experiences with it. Have you tried them? I have. I didn't like the powder because it was very, I don't know how to describe the taste. It just wasn't something I couldn't mask it and I didn't like it. And the pills were actually really large. So... Terry Cochran, when I worked with her, actually wanted me, you know, this is three years ago when I lost so much weight. And she was like, we just can't get enough protein into you. And so I bought them. And, you know, I was trying to explain to her, I said, to, to consume eight pills, and they're not like soft, they're actually hard. I know this, I'm not normally someone that's so sensitive to these things, but I didn't like the the taste of the powder. So that was a, a no. And I think I passed it off to a colleague. And then the the perfect aminos that were in pill form, maybe things have changed now, but they were so large to have to consume like eight to 10 at a sitting was just not a viable option. I was like, I'm just going to have to continue to boost my protein intake with each one of my meals and make it up that way. And that was much easier for me. Maybe things have changed now. It's funny. So when I interviewed him and I really appreciated that he told me this. So when we stopped interviewing, because when you listen to this interview, you're going to be like, oh, I need to be on this protein powder. Like that is the takeaway that you're going to have. And I actually think, you know, for most people, like we often talk about upping your protein is key, but I eat so much protein, like so much protein. So when we stopped recording off air, I asked him, I was like, so how much would you recommend that I take of this perfect amino? And he was like, you don't need it. <laughs> he was like, he was like, don't take it. Like you're, 
you're doing good. But so I haven't had the experience with it. But if you're in my Facebook group, a lot of listeners have reported back having good experiences and they have a fa- Facebook group with like, it's like a whole culture of people that that use it. But it sounds like for some people, they yeah might not work based on the the taste. I don't know what it tastes like, so I can't speak to it. I definitely get to my 100, 110 grams a day. So for that reason, I feel like it was a good it was a good trial. And I think there are probably people out there who really struggle to hit their protein macros every day. But I think it goes back to what I always say, like we really genuinely want to try to get it from a whole food source, ideally. But I get it. You know, when I'm traveling, sometimes I'll take, you know, protein powder, I'll take bars or I'll carry jerky. That's usually my quote unquote protein bar of choice. And I don't mean to sound at all negative. It's just that was my experience. And I'm sure there are lots of people. It's like anything, you know, sometimes you'll recommend a product and it works really well for you and it doesn't for someone else. And I think that really gets chalked up to bioindividuality. Oh, definitely. And I'm just thinking about it more. One last comment. The earlier question about getting enough protein within a a four hour window So like I said, I eat so much protein. I'm literally almost eating protein nonstop for a large portion of that window. So that's just to clarify for listeners that if you are trying to get a lot of protein in a short window, you're going to be eating a lot for an extended period of time. So I just wanted to clarify that. Next question is from Maggie. Are they lying to me? What a power duo, the sad second... I found out Jim was leaving the show. I immediately thought I wish Cynthia could step in. Imagine my happiness when the announcement was made. Thank you both and Jen for your dedication to health, wellness, and living an optimal life. You've changed my life. I've been intermittent fasting for two years now. I used to do OMAD before I started heavy weightlifting and then switched to a six-hour window to prioritize protein and optimize muscle protein synthesis. I'm 48 years old and I try to fit at least 140 grams of good quality animal protein in a day. Sometimes I have to do my best and settle for a protein shake to get me there. My question surrounds BCAAs. I've stayed away from taking pre or post-workout supplements because I work out in the morning while fasted and do not want to break my fast. I recently came across a company that claimed to have produced them in pill form that do not break a fast. This, of course, intrigued me. I would love to optimize my hard work and see accelerated gains, but not at the cost of breaking my fast. I recently read in Cynthia's book that BCAAs will indeed break a fast. I wonder if this new claim is bogus or not. There doesn't appear to be any fillers, added sugar or carbohydrates, just amino acids. What do you think? All right, Maggie, thank you for your question. So this is a good question to end with because it ties into everything that we were just talking about. I don't know what brand she's talking about, It could be the perfect amino actually, because I do know that they make this claim. So I went deep into the literature researching BCAAs and the fasted state, and I definitely could not find any scientific literature that would support amino acids not breaking the fasted state. So amino acids are basically the signal, like out of all of, mm, I guess carbs too, but you could make the argument out of all the different macros that we're exposed to amino acids are a signal for growth which is the you know the antithesis of the catabolic fasted state so i do know companies make this claim 
But everything I could find shows that BCAAs stimulate mTOR, that they stimulate the basically like the fed state. And even in really, really small amounts, the most potent of all of them to do this is leucine, which is often very common in these BCAA supplementation options. So yeah, all of that said, like depending on your goals, and again, I'm not, my goals are not intense muscle gains and all of that, even though I'm very much about supporting muscle. But if my goals were weightlifting and body composition when it comes to muscle size and really, really optimizing the formation of new muscle, you know, I might find an approach where I am having a longer window and maybe integrating these BCAAs and doing it, you know, like there might be an approach that can really maximize your goal while having a longer eating window while still using these. And I wouldn't, basically I wouldn't sacrifice your goals just for the concept of having a longer fast. I'm talking all over the place and I'm not articulating this well. It might be something that that you want to do, but I would not, I would not assume that it, it does not break a fast. I have to agree with you. And especially because with this book just coming out and all the research that I did, it was very evident that there was nothing to support that amino acids don't not break a fast. So if you really, you know, feel compelled to take these, I would save them for your feeding window, maybe use it to break your fast with, but with the understanding from everything that I read in the literature, and I went down massive rabbit holes on this in particular, because there are still a lot of, I'm sure, well-meaning fit pros out there that suggest otherwise. But I remind people that that mTOR signaling is activated by the consumption of protein and amino acids. Yes. And I was trying to find, like, I tried to find something, but there are a lot of studies on this and it basically just shows what we both just said. So, all right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will have all of the links for everything that we talked about today. Those are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 270, 270. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is, and I've got it now, Cynthia underscore Thurlow. Cynthia, oh, sorry, Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And yes, I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, I think these are really great questions. I I feel really fortunate that we are continuously every week getting lots and lots of questions. So definitely keep them coming. I agree. I've been thinking that as well. Like really, really great questions coming in. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.